you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in your Bible, I want you to see the truth that is there in this passage of Scripture. This is actually a, a finishing up of sermons, a sermon that I started last week when I told you that in my own life, there were three things that have been very critical to me to constantly attempt to remember. Last week, I talked about the concept of seeing our lives as being stewards, that we don't really just belong to earth. It is our birthplace, but it's not our home. We are built and made for eternity with God. And that we have to be cautious when we live life about getting so tied to earth that we think that the essence of life is about gaining stuff here, and it's not. While we are here, we have a relationship with Jesus as Lord in such a manner that we serve. We are managers of all that he entrusts to us, the very air that we breathe, the bodies that he gives us, the jobs families, we're, we're responsible for everything. We talked about money. We see ourselves as stewards, and we must have a continual reminder of that because everything about earth says, I want to tie you to here. It's the great tool of Satan who wants us to lose perspective and think that life is to be about us and that we are owners. We are never to be seen as owners. We're always to be seen as managers. That truth with the two truths that I share today are the three things that I believe that I must be constantly made freshly aware of these truths. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, the word of God says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 26 is our text. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does it mean for us to proclaim the Lord's death as we gather at this table? There are two very simple things that I must be reminded of when I think of the cross and the death of Jesus Christ. And I must constantly keep them fresh in my mind because, again, this world is going to try to constantly distract me from these two significant truths as well as the one of being a steward. Number one, the death of Jesus at the cross of Jesus reminds me that God is serious. He is deadly serious about sin. There will never be a sin that is committed that God will not hold accountable for that sin. 
For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we recognize that our sin, past, present, and future, all sin in our life has been accounted for at the cross of Jesus Christ. We know the truth of Scripture in the book of Romans chapter 5 when it tells us that there is no longer in the lives of those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and what he did for us on that cross, there is no longer any condemnation from God that bears down upon us. Our sins are forgiven. Kelly reminded us this morning that sin under the blood of Jesus is as far removed as the east is from the west. Now the thing about it is that we still recognize that there is failure and sinfulness even though we are redeemed. And thus we must constantly battle against becoming very accustomed to the fact that though redeemed, we still have an old nature and we still live on a fallen planet, that we will never be finally free from the presence of sin until we reach heaven. And so sin still remains. And I need to be constantly reminded that because I have a fallen nature, I must never become again accustomed to living out of that fallen nature alone. My world wants me to constantly be desensitized to sin. It wants me to get very comfortable and accustomed to sin. I grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Many of you did the same. Some of you have no concept of what the 50s and 60s were like because you weren't born until the year 2000 and beyond. I'm here to tell you that sin in my early generation and sin in my present generation is still sin. But I will tell you this, in the United States of America, we have become much more accustomed to the public presence of sin. In many ways, we are tempted constantly to be desensitized to the things that we hear and the things that we read and the things that we see. And we must constantly be aware of what God thinks about sin. Scripture tells us that he hates it. It is an affront to his perfect holiness. And there never will be a sin that is not judged. And you and I have learned that even when our sin has fallen under the blood of Jesus Christ, we're still aware of the essence of the consequences of sin that sometimes bear themselves for a lifetime. You just have to go to the story of David with Bathsheba and Uriah and the son that was conceived out of that adultery who died and know that even when sin is forgiven consequences still bear I leave you with this simple image that was the title of a book Frog in the Kettle Barna wrote that that may not be the exact title but the essence is this if you put a frog in boiling water, he will immediately sense the danger and remove himself from that environment. However, if you put a frog in water at a temperature to which he is accustomed, he'll enjoy swimming around in it 
And if you slowly but consistently raise the heat of that water, he will stay in it, adjusting to the environment until the environment kills his life. As followers of Jesus, proclaiming his death means that we stay constantly alert to the danger and to the attitude of God about sin. And we will strive with energy and faith and calling upon the power of the Spirit of God in us to enable us to say no to sin, that our lives will show purity. I must constantly be reminded because everything about my environment tempts me to become desensitized to God's attitude to sin. The death of Jesus says that God is deadly serious about sin and there is judgment and consequence. Secondly, it's amazing that at the same place that God shows his hatred of sin and his judgment of sin, that he also shows his unbelievable, gracious love for sinners. The cross bears witness to the unending, unfathomable love that God has for us as fallen creatures. How how can one place bear such diversity? That's what the cross does. It attacks sin by the holiness of God. But at that cross, the love of God offers us deliverance from the consequences, from the penalty, from the power of sin. The love of God is manifest in that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, facing the judgment of God upon sin, but shall receive eternal and everlasting life. The same place, but totally different experiences. I need to constantly be reminded That as a follower of Jesus Christ, the one thing, the one thing that should daily dominate every relationship that I have is the love of God in me. The cross reminds me that when I commit to follow Jesus as Lord, that it will be the expression of active denial of self and death to self in order to give caring, kindness, and love to the people around me. The love that I have for God comes out in my experience of worship. Praise to him, devotion to him. As Jesus says, I will express my love to God in my songs and attitude of praise and in my loving obedience to his commands as Lord. I would submit to you that we, the people of Harpeth Heights, are pretty good at singing our praises unto God in worship. We have an amazing worship leader and an amazing worship choir and an amazing worshiping congregation. I am grateful to be a part of that. I cherish it. It feeds my spirit. 
there's always room for improvement in the expressions of our love for God in our worship time. Sometimes we come in half empty and we stay that way. We just hold on to whatever it is that keeps us from adequate praise. I'm sure that we need to improve in expressing our love through obedience. But there's still a solidness about us right now. And I'll tell you another thing that I'm grateful that I see here at Harpeth Heights is that there is a good, genuine love for brothers and sisters in the family of God. I experience it. I get to share in it. I watch you guys doing it day in and day out, way beyond the experience of what we do when we greet one another during our fellowship time. That's pretty quick. I watch us love and take care of each other in difficult places and share an amazing joy in the best of places. Now, do we need to improve on it? Yeah, I mean, some of us still have bad attitudes toward one another. Yeah, we need to drop some of that nonsense. We need to do better at that, yes, but we're doing well in that expression of love in our relationships. I enjoy bragging on us when I go to other places. Man, you ought to see Harpeth now from where they were and what I heard about them before I ever got there. We're an amazing congregation of love for one another. But I want to challenge you because I think there's another expression of love that needs to be even more dominating to us than it is yet. But we are improving on it. And that is our love for the lostness of our city. In Luke chapter 19 verse 41, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem for the last time. And Luke tells us that as Jesus approached Jerusalem for the last time, that he stopped and he wept over the city. And he made this statement. He said, oh, if you only knew what would bring you peace. I still sense that we at Harpeth have not yet fully grasped the concept that our love for God and his love for us and that love poured out to one another is more desperately needed outside these walls than it is needed inside these walls. We must continue to transition our thought process and thus our actions to become so aware that what we do in here is for us and for our Father in heaven and it strengthens us and it builds our bond with him. But as I've shared with you in my own awareness of life, the more I receive from God in blessing, the more I become aware that I'm merely a conduit to share it with a world that desperately needs to know where to find peace. And peace is only found in the Prince of Peace, and that is Jesus Christ. We must constantly remind ourselves that church is not first and foremost about us or for us. It is always about God and our worship of him and how he enables us to reach the lostness of this world. It is freshly a part of my life as I drive in from Murray County in Columbia, Tennessee to get to you, especially on Sunday mornings because I come through populated area. Now, when I travel to Trace, I get to pray for deer and raccoon and snakes and skunks and very few people. But when I travel through Spring Hill, come up through Frankfurt, Downs Boulevard, if you know anything about Downs Boulevard, you know that soccer complex that they have on both sides of the road. There must have been 10,000 people there this morning for a soccer tournament. 
when I come up on the old trace and I'm watching people ride their bicycles and run and walk their dogs and take care of their health as I come by Temple Hills Golf Club and I see the folks that are out there. Now, mind you, I don't mind people playing soccer on Sunday. I don't mind them playing golf on Sunday. When I take vacation, there are times I play golf on Sunday. I don't mind confessing that to you because I don't think anything wrong with that because neither one of those places become my God. I'm concerned about people who are out doing those things who make that their God. They don't know what peace is. I mean, if you hit a golf ball 300 yards, and that's pretty good, folks. You hit a golf ball 300 yards, you don't have Jesus. You had not gained anything. You run till your body is in great shape, and you can run a marathon. You don't have Jesus. You're built for eternity. You're not built for a marathon. Do we adequately weep over our city, over our own neighborhoods, our own neighbors, our families? I'm grateful that Jesus summarized these final two places for me out of the three that I must constantly be made aware of. I'm a steward, not an owner. God is serious about sin. And God is love, and the cross shows it. And when God is a part of my life, love will dominate my life and all of my relationships with him, with my church family, and with the lostness in my world. Jesus summarized the last two very adequately. I find it very interesting that as I looked at that pamphlet about the week of prayer for Tennessee State Missions, y'all do remember that? I made you take it with you last week. Today's prayer uses that passage of Scripture, reminding us about lostness, reaching the lost, doing whatever it cost us to obey God. There he says that the essence of Jesus' summary of life is this, love God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and being, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm grateful that there is that one passage that helps me remember these last two significant things that I must be made aware of constantly, afresh, day in and day out, because I live in a world that bombards me with all the other messages. Oh, yeah, you can have this stuff. Oh, come on, sin's no big deal. Oh, take care of yourself. Don't worry about worrying, giving concern to everybody else. That's the message that the enemy sends daily from our culture. And that's the reason we must be constantly aware of these three things. The table reminds us of two of them. Father, we are grateful for what you teach us. And we are sad and brokenhearted that we become so tied to this world, owning so much of its stuff, thinking we'll find peace, joy there, always empty, never satisfied. Forgive us for trying to be owners instead of stewards. Forgive us also, Father, for where we have adjusted our lives to culture and forgotten the truths of Scripture trying to make life just a little bit more easy. People don't judge us as much if we just act like them. So much easier. Just adjust. Oh, Father, forgive us for becoming comfortable with any sin in our lives. And Lord, there's way, way too many times that self has dominated our thinking 
We didn't love. We didn't sacrifice. We didn't put somebody else before us like your son did when he went to that cross for us. Forgive us, Father, for not loving you, our brothers and sisters, and especially the lost people of our world. Being unconcerned about if they die, they go to hell. No peace for all of eternity. Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. And we confess our sin today and joyfully receive your forgiveness and your cleansing through Jesus. In whose name we pray.